Today we're starting a new Bible study, and we're going to study the story of Abraham. And the story of Abraham is found in Genesis, the very beginning of the Bible. And so I'm really looking forward to this. I've never taught a Bible study just on Abraham before. So I'm looking forward to, you haven't taught a Bible study either, that's right. So we're looking forward to the chance for me to study something new and for you too. And it'll be getting us into God's Word from the book of Genesis. Just to start, I have a few introductory things about Abraham today. So we're going to hear today how it was about in the year 2000 BC. We'll talk about that date a little later on. That God called Abraham to move to a new land and he promised that he would make your name great and you will be a blessing. We'll read that verse today. Today, three great worldwide religions all claim Abraham as their spiritual father. And so this is what's kind of unique about Abraham. There are more people today in the world who claim to follow Abraham than claim to follow anyone else. Even gods. There is no god in the world followed by more people than who follow Abraham. You follow that? So more people in the world claim to follow Abraham than any other person or being in the history of the world. Right? What are the three large, people say, Abrahamic? You don't have to use that word. But what are the three religions that claim Abraham as their spiritual father? So, Muslims, Islam, they claim Abraham as their father. Judaism, so Jews today, so those be people who follow the Old Testament but don't believe in Jesus. Jews today follow Abraham and Christians. Christians do too, like you and me. Okay, and so people will talk about, you'll hear this, the three great Abrahamic religions are the three religions that trace their roots back to Abraham, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism. And before we move on from that, do you know how many people follow those three religions? So the Star of David, that's a sign of Judaism. The cross for Christianity, that's a sign of Islam. Do you know how many people in the world today claim to follow Christianity, Islam, or Judaism? Did you say four billion? I did. And you remember. That's amazing. Four billion people in the world are followers of one of those three religions. Billion with a B. Okay, Christianity, you know, just according to what people say, is, is the largest religion in the world. I think what I saw was like 2.4 billion people say that they're Christians. And Islam is second. There's like 1.8 billion people who say that they're followers of Islam. And Judaism is much, much smaller. But there's millions of people who are Jews still today. So over 4 billion people follow one of those religions. About what percent of all the people on earth would that be? Did you say 3%? It's probably not that. What percent would 4 billion be of the people in the world? 20%. Yeah, over 50%. Over 50% of all the people in the world claim that Abraham is their spiritual father. That's pretty impressive. Okay, so there's lots and lots of people around the world that if you talk to them, 
you'll, you'll find out that they have some kind of respect or roots in, in Abraham. Right? Now I told you that we're going to hear about Abraham in the Old Testament. His story is found in the book of Genesis. But Abraham isn't just mentioned in the Old Testament. In fact, Abraham is mentioned. Do you want to guess how many times Abraham is mentioned in the New Testament? So it depends a little bit on the translation we're using. But what I saw was 76 times. So remember, the New Testament's written 2,000 years after Abraham. And the New Testament, of course, is telling the life of Jesus. But in the New Testament, Abraham is mentioned 76 times in the New Testament. Okay, so it's not just, well, this is some guy from the past who we moved on from. The writers of the New Testament wanted Christians to spend time thinking about Abraham. There. Uh, the Mormons, Jesus is number the third best prophet. Isn't Abraham one or two of them? Yeah, I think you're thinking of the Muslims. For Muslims, wow. Jesus is the number three prophet. And wow. I, I forget the whole order. Wow. I think that Mormons would say that Jesus is, I don't know, the top prophet. I think that. I think Mormons would speak of Jesus a little more highly. Uh, but Mormons would also trace their respect to Abraham too. We're just not counting them. So lots of people going back to Abraham. Right, so we mentioned the New Testament a whole bunch. Here's one example. Right, here's Galatians chapter 3. Just notice what it says about Abraham. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So just from this one place in the New Testament, I want you to know two things about Abraham. First of all, how does it describe Abraham? This is the man of faith. So we're going to hear a lot about Abraham. What the Bible really picks up on with Abraham is Abraham is someone who believed God's promises. He was a man of faith. And of course, the Bible's whole message is to encourage our faith in God. That's what makes Abraham stand out. He's a man of faith. What does this say about our connection to Abraham? We're his children. How so? By faith. Those who have faith are children of Abraham. And so this is why Abraham shows up so often in the New Testament. The Bible repeatedly says, if you have faith in Jesus, the descendant of Abraham, then you're the real children of Abraham. And so you ever as a kid sing that song, Father Abraham? Somebody want to sing it for me? You know what I'm talking about? Father Abraham and many sons Many sons have Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are, we, are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Then you start moving your hands. I get lost. Right? But that's, that's a true song for Christians to sing. Right? We're the children of Abraham by faith. Right? Last introductory question. The best place to learn about Abraham is the... Bible. The Bible. Or, or ask David. Would that be a, he's got an answer for you. Oh, 
So we get stuck. We know where to go. We don't know where to do. So the best place to learn about Abraham is the Bible. Now, sometimes, you know, I jokingly say, well, you should just Google things. And that often works. So, like, how did I find out how many times Abraham is found in the New Testament? Well, I Googled it. I just Googled it. Right? And, you know, somebody else has Googled it before, and there's an answer out there for you. But I was interested, as I was studying for this, I, I went on one, I forget which site it was, but one of the online encyclopedias. So not just some random blog. It was a an encyclopedia online, and look up Abraham, and, and like the first thing it said was, well, there, there's very little information available about the life of Abraham. <laughs> and I just read that, and I thought, like, what do you mean? And it kind of went on, we just don't have, we don't have any reliable sources to really tell us anything about, about the person Abraham, so we just have to guess. And I was like, there's the Bible, which tells us a lot about Abraham, a lot more about Abraham than most other people from ancient history. It just was interesting how this internet site, it, just, it was an official encyclopedia, it was going to refute, we are not going to look at the Bible. Right? No way we're looking at that. And so, well, what can we know about it? Well, if you're not going to look at the Bible, there's really no point to try to study Abraham. Because what we learn about Abraham is all from the Bible, and even what the Quran, so the Muslim holy book, which comes long after the time of the Bible, Muhammad clearly just copied much of what the Old Testament says, just changing the things that he wanted to make relate to himself. And so, if you want to hear about Abraham, we got to read the Bible. That's what we're going to do. We're going to open up our Bibles. Open up to Genesis chapter 10. So for the next few weeks, it should be easy to find the things you want to look up in the Bible. And we're going to be in the book of Genesis. When you get to Genesis chapter 10, though, you'll notice that we're not going to start by reading about Abraham. Before we get to Abraham, the Bible tells us a whole bunch of history about the ancient world. And so we're going to read a lot of names and places, and it's going to be good for us today. This is going to give us the background into the world in which Abraham came and how he fit in with the other peoples who were around. So Genesis chapter 10, your Bible probably has a heading that says something like the table of nations. And so Genesis chapter 10 tells us about all of the different people who go out into the world and start their own countries or their own nations, right? So it's going to be a lot of names, but we're going to make some sense of it. So we're going to start just by reading the first verse. Genesis chapter 10, verse 1. It says, this is the account of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Noah's sons, who themselves had sons after the flood. Right, so let's just stop right there. What big event in world history has just happened? The flood. the flood, right? You know that story, right? God saw how great the wickedness of the world had become. He decided to destroy the world, but to save Noah and his family, and he does. And how many people were on Noah's ark? Eight. Eight, right? Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives, eight people, 
And so when you think about all human beings on earth today, we could all trace our ancestry back to Adam and Eve, right? They all come from Adam and Eve. We could also trace all of our ancestry back to Noah and his wife. We all come from Noah and his wife. What the Bible does is trace all of our ancestry back to Noah's three sons, Shem, Ham, and David. Okay, so all people on earth today are descendants of Shem, Ham, or Japheth and their wives. Okay, there's these three couples who survived the flood, and it's their families and their children are going to fill up the earth. And what follows in chapter 10 is that the Bible is very specific about who all these people are. So we're going to read about the descendants of Japheth and the descendants of Ham and the descendants of, of Shem. And like I said, it's going to be a whole bunch of names. What I want you to do... Oh, hold on. I skipped a question. Gomer. A man who becomes the head of a family that lasts for generations is called a... Patriarch. Patriarch. So sometimes people talk about this is the time of the patriarchs. Okay, you just have... A man and his wife, and they have a family, and it's not like we have countries. We have families. Okay? Time of the patriarchs. So what we're going to do is we're going to read each section, Japheth, Ham, and Shem, and it's going to be names. What I want you to do is to see if you recognize any of the names. Okay? So you're going to hear about this son and that son. And just try to, for each one, make a note. Do I, do I recognize in any way this name, right? The first one's the shortest one. So the Japhethites. So chapter 10, starting with verse 2. The sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshach, and Tiras. The sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Riphoth and Togarma. The sons of Javan, Elisha, Tarshish, the Kittites, and the Rhodonites. From these, the maritime people spread out into their territories by their clans within their nations, each with its own language. All right. Got all that? Right? So now, I don't expect you to know many of the names, because I don't know most of the names. Is there any information in those verses that you say, that kind of sounds familiar? So we got the name Meshach. You're, you're thinking probably of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Yeah, I, I don't think there's a connection. But that's a good thought. Gomer, you've heard of. Where does that come up in the Bible? <laughs> yeah, later, way later on, here's where Gomer shows up in the Bible. Gomer is a prostitute that the prophet Hosea is commanded to marry. And he's supposed to love this woman who doesn't deserve his love, like God loves us. And again, I don't know that there's a connection there. This must have been a man. And, but the name is familiar. Not really helping. So Tubal, Tubal is one of the sons of in Cain's family line. So way early in earlier in Genesis, one of Cain's sons is 
tubal. Right, we're not making a whole lot of progress. How about how about the word Tarshish? Somebody has heard of the word Tarshish before. Where does the word Tarshish come up? Somebody said it. Jonah. Jonah. God tells the prophet Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach to the Ninevites. And what does Jonah do? He gets on a ship going the opposite direction to Tarshish. He doesn't make it there, of course. There's a storm and there's fish and everything. Right. That actually seems to fit because what does it say about the people of Japheth? They're maritime peoples. Okay, and so what it sounds like for Japheth is Japheth's descendants are the ones who kind of move up around the Mediterranean Sea and are known for being on the sea. Right, on the bottom of your page, I've got this map. Alright, so this is somebody trying to plot out where do these people end up. And so the green ones would be Japheth. And so kind of to the north and to the west would be the descendants of Jacob. People typically say that anybody of European descent is probably ultimately a descendant of the Japhethites. So I know a lot of us have European ancestors. It seems like that's the direction Japheth's clan goes. Okay, make sense? So we don't know too many names. We know about Tarshish. There's a couple of names that show up in different places. Let's go on. Next is the Hamites. Okay, just so we make clear, there's no connection between this man named Ham and the meat that's a ham. Okay, so if that's a question on your mind. These are not the same thing. Just, just the name the guy had. All right, verse 6, same thing. See if you recognize any of the names. You're going to recognize more in this section. The sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush, Seba, Havila, Sabta, Rama, and Sabtaka. The sons of Rama, Sheba, and Dedan. Cush was the father of Nimrod, who became a mighty warrior on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That is why it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The first centers of his kingdom were Babylon, Uruk, Akkad, and Kalna in Shinar. From that land, he went to Assyria, where he built Nineveh, Rehoboth-ir, Kala, and Reason, which is between Nineveh and Kala, which is the great city. Egypt was the father of the Ludites, Anamites, Lethabites, Naphtuhites, Pathrusites, Kasluhites, from whom the Philistines came, and Kaphtarites. Canaan was the father of Sidon, his firstborn, and of the Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites, Girgashites, Hivites, Archites, Sinites, Arvadites, Zemarites, and Hamathites. Later, the Canaanite clan scattered and the borders of Canaan reached from Sidon toward Gerar as far as Gaza, and then toward Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zeboim as far as 
Lasha. These are the sons of Ham by their clans and languages in their territories and nations. You recognize some of those names. What names do you recognize in there? I just had a question. Our, yeah. Ours instead of Egypt, it says Mitzrayim. Good, all right. So some translations instead of Egypt says Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim is the Hebrew word for Egypt. So there you go. So should we say Mitzrayim or should we say Egypt? We probably recognize Egypt better. But it's the same thing. Great, great question. What names in that whole section do you recognize? Syria. What did you say? Syria. Syria. And Assyria, right? We recognize those. There's still Assyria today. It's the country. Canaan. Okay, what, what's, what's another name for Canaan? The promised land. Israel. The name originally was Canaan. Right? What else do you recognize? Sodom and Gomorrah. We're going to hear about those as we go through the story of Abraham. Babylon. Sheba. There's that queen of Sheba who comes to visit Solomon. Nineveh, which was the great capital of Assyria. Right? So, a whole bunch of different names. Now, you mentioned Egypt. I think you've heard of that, right? Egypt. Yeah, so Cush and Put are areas in Egypt. Okay, in that section that talks about Canaan, so like verses 15 to 17, some of these groups of people should sound familiar. These are what show up all the time in the Old Testament. The Israelites are always fighting against the Jebusites and the Amorites and, and the Philistines. You've heard about them, right? Goliath was a Philistine. Okay, and so where in the world do, do the descendants of Ham seem to end up? All over. They seem to be all over. Especially though, what, what areas might we point to? So here's our map again. So the descendants of Ham are the ones in the tan or the orange. So you've got some who go down to Africa, right? Egypt is in Africa. You've got these in Canaan, which we think of as Israel today, but the Philistines, the Canaanites, the Amorites. It mentions the Kittites, and then even we probably could have a, some circles over here because it mentions Babylon. Babylon is way over here. And so the Amorites seem to be in like Palestine and Africa, and then partly into the Middle East. As the Bible describes it. Right? Follow all that? Last, we've got Shem. So, verses 21 and following. Sons were also born to Shem, whose older brother was Japheth. Shem was the ancestor of all the sons of Eber. The sons of Shem, Elam, Asher, Arphaxed, Lud, and Aram. The sons of Aram, Uz, Hol, Gether, and Meshech. Arphaxan was the father of Sheba, and Sheba the father of Eber. Two sons were born to Eber. One was named Peleg, because in his time the earth was divided. His brother was named Joktan. 
Joktan was the father of Almoda, Shelef, Hazarmaveth, Jerah, Hadoram, Uzzel, Dikla, Obo, Abimael, Sheba, Ophir, Havilah, and Jovan. All these were sons of Joktan. The region where they lived stretched from Misha towards Sephar in the eastern hill country. These are the sons of Shem by their clans and languages and their territories and nations. These are the clans of Noah's sons according to their lines of descent within the nations. From these the nations spread out over the earth after the flood. So you're all wishing you could have had the chance to read this chapter, wouldn't you? <laughs> if you really wanted to, I would have let you. It's kind of fun to read all those names. Right? Any names under Shem that sound familiar? I'd say there's less here. You can see that there's some names repeated, so that shouldn't surprise us, right? Meshach. That there's different families can use the same name. Meshach shows up again. Havilah and, and Sheba we heard before. So a few names are repeated. Okay, again, that's not surprising. One that maybe you've heard of is Aram. At the end of verse 23, the sons of Aram. Aram was another country that was constantly fighting against Israel. You hear about the Arameans a lot in the Old Testament. Not too many other ones that we recognize. So if we go to this map again, it seems like the, the descendants of Shem are, especially in what we would call the Middle East today. And so Syria, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, those areas seem to be where the descendants of Shem headed to. Okay, and so as people look at you know the world, kind of see Japheth and his descendants are kind of going, especially toward the north, maybe more toward Europe. Ham and his descendants are in Palestine and going more toward the south. Shem and his descendants are especially in the Middle East. And of course, there's a whole bunch of people groups today that we'd say, well. I don't really know, right? They all come from one of these. Follow all that? Okay, there's a lot that we can't say. A little we can. John? What did it mean by that the earth was divided? Excellent question. People debate that all the time. There's nothing else that's told us about that. So was this talking about some kind of a natural disaster? Or was it just talking about different groups of people? being divided. The next story is the Tower of Babel. And so is it talking about the days of the Tower of Babel? After that, everything's really divided. There just isn't, isn't any more details told. There's an interesting book called The World That Perished. I think it's over there in the library. It suggests that perhaps when the floodwaters receded, there was something called Pangea, which is the entire all land mass of water. And then suddenly the continents Another possible explanation. Yeah, good question. All right, so this is the table of nations. What well, takeaway from this is, you know, people today often will say, well, the Bible is just a myth, right? It's, I mean, just a legend, it's just made up, right? Is this chapter how made-up legends and myths go? Not at all, right? 
You know, made up legends and myths don't have specific names and places. They say, well, once upon a time, or long ago, there was this one guy named. And the Bible, obviously, whoever wrote this, which was Moses, we know, Moses considered this real history. And he's saying, these are real people. It's a real generations. They go into real places. If you read this chapter, you can understand the history of the world. Okay, the Bible is not written as a myth. It's written as a real history book that was meant to teach people about history. Yeah. Yeah. In the beginning of the book, it lists Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And that's usually the way, in that order. Mm -hmm. But then it lists Japheth first, Ham, and then Shem. Excellent. So the different order of the names, sometimes it's Shem, Ham, and Japheth. When it's actually listed, it's Japheth, Ham, and Shem. Right? It seems like the oldest was Japheth. Okay? The one that's listed last, though, is Shem, because it's from Shem that Abraham's going to come. And we'll see why in just a little bit. So it seems like the different ordering, sometimes they're listed probably in birth order. Japheth, Ham, Shem, perhaps. And then other times they're listed in, like the Bible often does, kind of salvation order, which would bring... Shem to the front. Good question. Kathy? There's um, a lot of sites where they didn't believe in God. Mm -hmm. And is there places that are antiquated? Yeah, so there's a even today, you can go and see a lot of these different sites. And sadly, a lot of places don't believe in God. And not all these descendants believe in the true God either. And that's a sad thing. Well, even, even, this is really supported. And these places mm -hmm. are correct. Yeah, excellent. So there's a lot of support for these different places. And yes. these are real places and real groups of people. Good, good point. Dave? Just one question. Was Shem still alive when Abraham was brought? So, so this is where people uh, yeah. people wonder about all this. Uh, you can take the genealogies of the Bible and line them up and try to see it. So just to answer your question, I, I haven't done that recently enough to, to, to tell you for sure. And there's question about whether we're, we're meant to do that, to take the genealogies and, and say them all. But there wouldn't have been that much time. There wouldn't have been that much time between the time of the flood and the days of Abraham. It would have been a number of generations, a few hundred years, but not thousands of years. So he lived 500 years after. Yeah. That's why I haven't done all the math. To, I don't know if we have quite, well, we, I think we do, but I haven't done all the math to see when that would end up. Good question. I just did. And you did? So Shem died after the days of Abraham. Or Abraham was born after the, after Shem died. Which one? At the same time? Yeah. So it wasn't that much after the flood. Mm -hmm. Good point. Okay. So a lot we can learn just from a chapter of names. One more thing I want you to pick up on today. There's two English words that come from these names that I don't know I, that I ever really recognized. 
What English word today comes from the name Shem? Semite. So I don't hear that word. You hear that word all the time. When do you hear the word Semite? Usually there's another word in front of it. Anti-Semitism? What does that mean? Anti-Jewish feelings. Anti-Semitism. It comes from this name, Shem. Descendants of Shem are called Semites. And so with the phrase anti-Semitism, which of course is a very bad thing, right? To be against a group of people, this isn't a good thing. But it, it's more specific than what the word really means. So a Semite would be anybody who's a descendant of so you also hear that word with languages. There's a, a family of languages called the Semitic languages, which includes Hebrew. So it's the languages of sense of Shem, right? So that, that word, when you hear that today or see it on the news, it's actually going back to the Bible. Well, we're talking about descendants of Shem. How about an English word that people, people debate this, but may come from the name Eber? Hebrew. Hebrew, the Hebrews, people do debate. Where does the name Hebrew come from? Like the Hebrews, are Abraham's descendants are the Hebrews. One of the suggestions is that it comes from the name of this guy, Eber. Eber's descendants are the Hebrews. Ready to keep going? So to keep going, we're actually going to turn back. Because we're going to read one story that comes before this. Turn to the end of chapter 9. So Genesis chapter 9, starting with verse 18. Here we have one story of something that happened after the flood involving Shem, Ham, and Jacob. It's kind of a sad story. So Genesis chapter 9, verse 18. The sons of Noah... The sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These were the three sons of Noah, and from them came the people who were scattered over the whole earth. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across his shoulders. Then they walked in backward and covered their father's naked body. Their eyes were turned the other way so that they would not see their father naked. When Noah woke from his wine and found out what his youngest son, Ham, had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves, he will be to his brothers. He also said, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. May God extend Japheth's territory. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem. And may Canaan be the slave of Japheth. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. Noah lived a total of 950 years. And then he died. So here we hear a little more about their ages. So it tells us that Ham was the youngest one. And it's kind of a sad story. Noah plants a vineyard. This is a sign of things being good after the flood. And he gets drunk. Of course, it's not a good thing. People ask, maybe he hadn't drunk wine for a long time. 
People try to excuse it away. It doesn't seem like there's any reason to. He gets drunk and that's a bad thing. And he's naked and his son Ham seems to make light of it. Goes and tells his brothers. The brothers say, no, this, we're, not, we're not dealing with this. And so they, they cover him up, Noah, and don't make a big deal out of it. And so when Noah wakes up, he says, Ham, you're going you're gonna to be punished because of this. And Shem and Japheth, you're going to receive the most blessings. Okay, follow that story. And so we're never told exactly, well, this is where Shem becomes the father of the nation of Israel. But people point to this story as Shem is praised for what he does here with Noah. Seems like from this point on, when we hear about Shem, he's the one that we're going to focus on. And then Ham here is said, well, you did something that was wrong. And this is going to be carried out in your descendants. And what descendant of Ham especially gets pointed out again and again here? Canaan. Canaan. Which, of course, is important to the Israelites reading this because all of the nations around Israel were the the Canaanites. Okay, so God's pointing out this is why there's this constant conflict between the Israelites and the Canaanites. Follow all this? What if he was passed out drunk, having no hand made fun of him? <laughs> so somebody must have told him the story after it was all done. You're right. And somehow he must have heard how this all went after it, after it happened. Right? So from this, it seems like we're hearing that Shem is going to be especially blessed by the Lord. The other reason I have us read this is because this story is used in a bad way sometimes by Christians in America. So this story was, and I think you could say is still used by some Christians in America to defend something horrible. Do you know what I'm thinking of? Alcoholism. It's not what I was thinking of. But if the story is used to defend that, that would be a bad thing. So the fact that Noah was drunk was not a good thing. That's not being, it's not being praised here at all. Somebody said it. Slavery. Slavery. So American Christians over the centuries have used this story to say that it was actually a fine and good thing for white Christians in America to practice slavery. Because why? What were they pointing to? Well, it says the descendants of Ham are going to be slaves to the descendants of Japheth and Shem. And so, slavery in America is just fulfilling what God said in the Bible. This was a good thing. And I'm telling you, that's not right. Okay? What, just from what we read, makes it very clear this is not talking in any way about American slavery. Whom does it say is going to be the servant of whom? It doesn't say all the descendants of Ham are going to be slaves to all the descendants of Shem and Japheth. Whom does it point out? Who is going to serve? Who's going to be the one who's the slave? Canaan. Canaan. Okay, now remember where Canaan was? Where's Canaan? 
Canaan is Palestine. It's those different groups that we hear about constantly fighting with the Israelites, the Jebusites and the Hittites and the Hivites and all those different kinds of groups. And when do you think this was actually fulfilled? That the descendants of Canaan are going to end up serving the descendants of Shem. So we're going to hear about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They go down and they're slaves in Egypt for a long time. They come out of Egypt. Moses leads them and he dies. Joshua leads them into the promised land. And what do the Israelites do when they get to the promised land? Do they just move in and have a party? No. They have to fight against all the nations who are there. And all the nations who are there were descendants of Canaan. And who won? Who won all those battles? The Israelites. Okay, so this has nothing to do with taking people from Africa and making them slaves in the United States. To say that this justifies that is just, it's wrong. It's repulsive. Okay, God, as he's writing, is saying, you know, there's a reason that I want the Israelites to be the ones who have the promised land and not the Canaanites. And part of it goes back to this story. That makes sense? All right. So we've got these three groups of people. Descendants of Shem, Ham, and Jacob. Let's move on to get closer to Abraham. So turn to chapter 11. We're skipping the Tower of Babel. Not because it's not important, but because maybe we'll cover that another day. So in chapter 11, the story zooms in on the descendants of Shem. Here's what Dave was referring to before about the different years of people. So Genesis chapter 11, starting with verse 10. It says, this is the account of Shem's family line. Two years after the flood, when Shem was 100 years old, they became the father of Arphaxed. After he became the father of Arphaxed, Shem lived 500 years and had other sons and daughters. When Arphaxad had lived 35 years, he became the father of Shelah. After he became the father of Shelah, Arphaxad lived 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Shelah had lived 30 years, he became the father of Eber. And after he became the father of Eber, Shelah lived 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Eber had lived 34 years, he became the father of Pelek. And after he became the father of Pelek, Eber lived 430 years and had other sons and daughters. When Peleg had lived 30 years, he became the father of Ru. After he became the father of Ru, Peleg lived 209 years and had other sons and daughters. When Ru had lived 32 years, he became the father of Sebrug. And after he became the father of Sebrug, Ru lived 207 years and had other sons and daughters. When Sebrug had lived 30 years, he became the father of Nahor. And after he became the father of Nahor, Sebrug lived 200 years and had other sons and daughters. When Nahor had lived 29 years, he became the father of Terah. And after he became the father of Terah, Nahor lived 119 years and had other sons and daughters. After Terah had lived 70 years, he became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Oof, lots more names. Okay, so this is how the Bible talks about genealogy. Somebody becomes the father of... Right? Often a, a Bible will have a footnote that the word father of, it seems like in Hebrew it could mean grandfather of or ancestor of. 
We're not necessarily always talking about one generation to the next. Even though it is pretty specific at a certain age, having it seems like your firstborn son. Another thing people notice that after the flood, what happens to people's lifespans little by little? They get shorter. Okay, and now this is something the Bible doesn't explain this to us. Before the flood, we hear about Adam and Methuselah, they're living 900 years. Noah lives 950 years. After the flood, it's not like suddenly people live 80 years. But over a few generations, now you're not living 900 years, you're living 400 years. And then you're living 200 years. And it's about the time of Abraham, a little after. Abraham lives till uh, about 175, I think, is when he dies. But it's kind of after that time that you get to where it's where it is today. And so what's different or what changed? I will not explain that to us clearly. The flood impacted something. And after the flood, conditions weren't the same as they were before. People don't live as long. And that shouldn't surprise us. But How long was actually a year? It never says. You think of a year as 365 days. But it could have been a lot different back then, too. Yeah, although it's all written by the same person. So remember, Genesis is all written by Moses. And Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So... That's where the word year seems to be used the same way throughout all of those books. So we'd be a little cautious to say, well, in this part, a year is a really short time, so that's why there's so many. And then it seems like a year, a year is a determination that really God set into creation. It's, you know, how long, I mean, a year is a, it's an identifiable thing, how long it takes uh, the earth and the sun and different things to move around, the seasons to change. And so, it's at, use probably the same amount of time, but that doesn't help us explain how did people live such a long lifespan, and the Bible doesn't tell us. Again, that book of reference, the world that perishes for your book, it's pretty short, and I'm going to read it. It talks about the firmament, and the water vapor buried over the earth, I think it was from radiation and all that. And when, when the rain came down, it came from the firmament, and so, Permanent that that the Bible speaks of doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. So it was like one big bubble, you know, like the Garden of Eden. So it's not the theory. I'm not saying that's true, but it makes sense. Yeah. So there are different things that, that people suggest. I like how you put it that that's just a theory. The Bible doesn't say this, but it's possible. It also explains why carbon, you know, 14 periodically uh, dating is off because the amount of radiation hitting the earth during the firmament, in the pre-flood times, was much, much less. Dating things appear much, much older due to uh, decay stuff in the carbon. <clears throat> so these are some of the ways people give possible explanations. They just have to be careful not to say, well, it has to be that way, because we don't know. But these things are true. People lived a longer life. There was a big flood impacted the whole earth. After that, lifespans start to shorten. And we see that here in Abraham's family line. Right, just another side thing. Again, if I was writing a, a myth or a story, I don't know that I'd be so careful to include generation after generation. And I know what I would certainly do would be, I'd use round numbers. Wouldn't you? I mean, if you're just making up a story, and you're like, he was, he lived about 500 years, you know? And then he lived about 400 years. Do we have nice round numbers here? No. No. Right, he's 34, and then he lives 
you know, 430, and then he's 32 and he lives 207 years. And again, as Moses writes this, he's writing it like this is a historical account with specific information. We can't explain how it's all possible, the long years, but we trust this was how it was written down. Maybe. So part Zenatus says, you know, God created people to live forever. And of course, in our world today, we have this kind of proud mindset that we're making everything better and better, right? Our world is so much better. And of course, is that true? I mean, some things are advancing, and we're thankful for all the advances in technology and medicine. Those are really blessings from God. But this idea that the world is a better place now than it ever used to be, well, it would seem like the world is probably a better place back at the beginning. And it's had a few more thousand years to break down. More diseases have developed and more ways for people to die. And so it kind of makes sense with the Bible at the beginning, closer to that perfect world, people live longer. And people don't live that long yet today. Let's go a little farther. So we're in chapter 11, starting with verse 27. Abram's family. This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. The name of, Abram's, of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. So I've just got some blanks for you to fill in the family tree. Abram's father's name was Terah. Father of Abraham was Terah. Abraham's grandfather was Nahor. Nahor. Okay. Abram's two brothers were Nahor and Haran. Okay, so Clearly, Abram's father, Terah, names one of his sons after his father, after the grandfather, which happens. So Nahor and Haran. And Abram's wife was? Sarai. And then we hear, we're going to hear a lot about Abram's nephew. I don't have a blank for that, but his nephew's name was? Lot. Lot. And why was Lot kind of hanging around with, with Abram? Because his father died. Okay, so he didn't have his own family to hang around with, and so Lot is going to travel around with Abram. Follow all that? And now on your study sheet, I have Abraham was born about the year. And I kind of like dates, you can maybe tell. And so people wonder, when was Abraham born? 
Okay, of course, it doesn't tell us the date, right? So this is a place where if you really want to do a lot of study, you can try to piece a lot of dates together, right? Here's, here's the dates that you'd have to piece together to find out when Abraham was born, right? I've got it listed on your sheet for you too. So you have to work back from the exodus from Egypt, from the days of Moses, right? Because then we have some dates. The Israelites were in Egypt, for 430 years. Okay. Joseph was 37 years old when his family moved to Egypt. So you have to add 37 on the 430. Joseph was the 11th of Jacob's 12 sons. Now here we don't have a year, so we're not sure how long after Jacob got married was Joseph born. There's a little gap there, we don't know. Jacob was at least 40 years old when he got married. We actually know that because Jacob's twin brother Esau was 40 years old when he got married, and Jacob got married after Esau did. Isaac was 60 years old when Jacob was born. Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. Okay, did you piece all that back together? Okay, so we're just using the dates the Bible gives us. And so what you end up with, when Abraham was born about 675 to 700 years before the exodus from Egypt. Okay, and the uncertainty is this one detail of, we have this span from when Jacob gets married until when Joseph is born. And we're not sure how many years that is. All right, so if you add 675 to 700 years before the exodus, what year do you get? You have to ask another question first, right? What question do you need to ask? When was the Exodus? Okay, and there's a huge debate among scholars today about when the Exodus was. The traditional date for the Exodus is 1446 BC. And so most scholars who believe that the Bible's true and take it at face value believe that the Exodus happened in 1446 BC. Okay. There's some other more modern scholars today, especially those who don't hold to the Bible so much, who insist that the Exodus had to be later than that, like the 1200s BC. But if you use 1446 BC and then you add 700 years to that, about what year was Abraham born? About 2146 BC. Okay, now what, since I'm such a nice pastor, when I talk about Abraham, what year do I usually use with Abraham? It's 2000 BC. Okay, although 2000 is more closer to when he died, but Abraham was a was around about 2000 BC. Right? What's the deal with the different names for Abraham and Sarah? God changed their names when they had when they were close to having children. So first they're Abram and Sarai. God changes them to Abraham and Sarah. So don't be confused with the differences in names. Right? Terah's family moved from where to where? Ur to Haran. They moved from Ur to Haran. Right? Here's our map. So Ur of the Chaldeans is way over here 
by Babylon, it would be in modern-day Iraq, kind of near the Persian Gulf. Right? We know about these places just from wars of the past. So Ur is down here. Haran is way up here, kind of closer to Syria or Assyria. Okay, and so they move from down here up to there. Uh, when I looked it up, this was something I just Googled. It said it was about 650 miles. From Ur to here, it would be 650 miles. Okay, they didn't have cars back then, so it would have taken them quite a while. From Ur to here. Eventually, they want, they want to get down here, but Terah doesn't make it. Right? So Terah dies in Haran. Right? Why don't they just go right across like this? It's all desert. Okay, and today we can drive across the desert. That was harder when you had to stop, so this is the fertile crescent. It looks like a half moon, and you got to travel up and around if you want to get around. All right, we're going to read one more story. Actually, the best part to prepare us for our, our next week's class. So we're in chapter 12. Here in Genesis 12 is where we finally hear about God coming to Abraham. And this is where God chooses Abraham and lets him know that he's going to be the father of a great nation. So Genesis chapter 12. The Lord had said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abraham set out and continued toward the Negev. And so God came to Abraham and he called on Abraham to go to the land of Canaan. And so Abraham's up here in Haran, and he's traveling south, down here into the, the land of Canaan, which we call Israel today. What was God calling Abraham to give up? Everything. So I would say everything, although it does say that he got to take all of his possessions along with him. So it wasn't like he just left with the shirt on his back. It's a big caravan, but He's leaving his family. He's leaving his culture and his history. He's going to a land that is not, at this point, the land of Israel. It's a foreign country where he's the only one who's going to speak his language, probably the only one who looks like he looks. He's calling on Abraham to give up everything. What was God promising to give Abraham? 
said, I'm going to make you a great nation and all nations on earth are going to be blessed through you. Okay, now what's, what's the only way that that's possible? Through Jesus. Okay, as you go through the story of Abraham, we're going to hear that phrase, all nations on earth are going to be blessed through you. It's talking about Jesus. And through Abraham's family, through Jesus, all people on earth find blessing. And what did Abraham do? It's, it's so simple. My Bible, verse 4, the beginning, it says, so Abraham went. Isn't that amazing? Right? If, if it were me, I would say, so Nathan asked, hold on. Tell me that again. Right? How far is it? Right? When am I going to get to come back? Okay, will I see my family again? You think of all the things that Abraham could have said, and he didn't say any of them. Right? He just buried his father. Right? I should probably stay here. Right? My father died. But what does he do? He goes. Okay, remember when we read that passage from the New Testament at the beginning of class? What did it call Abraham? A man of faith. Okay, Abraham is a man of faith. All he hears is this call, just go to this place. And I'm going to bless you. Okay, I once heard a sermon where I liked how the pastor did this. I reserve the right to use this in a future sermon, right? Just because I'm telling you now doesn't mean I can't use it in the future. But he, he said the story of Abraham is really God saying, I'll tell you later. Right? So God comes to Abraham, go to another land. Where am I going, God? I'll tell you later. Right? You get to Canaan. Abraham, I'm going to give you this land. When are you going to give me this land? Well, I'll tell you later. And Abraham, you're going to have a son. He's going to turn into a great nation. When am I going to have a son? I'll tell you later. That's the whole story of Abraham. Over and over, I'll tell you later. And each time, what did Abraham do? He believed. He went. Right? Just a couple of last questions. How is God's call of Abraham an excellent example of God, how God has called all of us? Excellent. He wasn't looking for God. God was looking for him. Right? What does it tell us about all the good things Abraham did to deserve God having him be his special nation? Nothing. Nothing. Abraham hadn't done a single thing. In fact, as we go through the story, we're going to hear it sounds like Abraham's father and ancestors were idol worshippers. And so God tells Abraham, I called you away from the false gods of your ancestors. And so we don't even know for sure that when Abraham was called, that at that moment he, he even believed in the true God. Right? It seems like his family were people who didn't know who the true God was. But when he hears God's voice, Abraham believes it's all by God's grace. And so people ask, why was the nation of Israel in the Old Testament God's special people? What's the answer? By grace. Just by grace. God could have chosen any nation, right? Could have chosen any group of people. Okay, for those Israelites, the Old Testament was a constant reminder, you are what you are just by the grace of God, and that's the same for us today. Why are you a Christian today? Because you're better than everybody else, right? <laughs> By the grace of God. Right? Why is it that you believe in Jesus and some other people don't? Because you're so much stronger than they are, right? 
it's by the grace of God. I can't explain it. Right? It's just by the grace of God. And how is Abraham's response to God's call an excellent example of our response to God's word? He believed it. He just did what God said. Okay, and so this is what makes Abraham such a, an applicable and powerful story for us to study. It's really the story of each of us. It's out of the blue for reasons we can't understand. God says, Abraham, I love you. I'm going to make you my special nation. And Abraham said, I believe you. And that's us and God in each one of our lives, right? I'm going to make you mine through baptism. And we say, okay, I believe you. That sounds good. This chapter is very important to the rest of the Bible because they... So, excellent. And what makes that verse so special? It's a promise of the Savior. From this chapter on, now we're not hearing about the history of the whole world. Who are we hearing about? The history of Jesus' family. So Genesis chapters 1 to 11 is, this is the history of the whole world. Right? Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and the flood and Noah and Tower of Babel. Shemhan and Japheth filling up the air. This is the whole world history. But starting in Genesis chapter 12, now we're going to hear about the history of the Israelites. Because it's focusing in on Jesus. This is the story of the nation that Jesus comes from. This is what we're going to do. The next maybe seven or eight weeks. There's a lot that the Bible says about Abraham. Let's walk through the story of Abraham. There won't be so many names every time and genealogies. But hopefully you can see how this is really a beneficial thing. Study what the Bible says. Even those long lists of names. And from here on out, we'll hear the story about Abraham and all the things God called him to do and his doubts and his faith and why he is such an important person to us today. Any last questions that you have? Let's close with a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in your grace, over 2,000, over 2,000, over 4,000 years ago, you called Abraham and told him that you'd send a Savior from his family. And Lord, you've done the same to us by your grace. You called each one of us to believe in Jesus through baptism, through hearing your word. You also gave Abraham the ability to believe in you. Even though the words that you spoke to him were so hard to believe, he trusted in your promises. Pray that you give us that same faith. Even when what you say seems difficult or hard, you give us the, the faith to trust in you. Dear Lord, we want to learn about everything that you see in the Bible. So bless us as we study the story of Abraham and apply it to us and to our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.